Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm your host as always, Stan McCune, realtor right here in the Greenville area of South Carolina, and you can find all of my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any of your real estate needs. I help buyers, I help sellers, I help anyone with any of their real estate needs basically. Um, So please let me know. My contact information is in the show notes if you need a realtor for any needs here in the Greenville, Spartanburg area. And just a reminder, as always, uh, please, if you like the show, please subscribe to it. Hit the little subscribe button or the or the plus box or whatever it is that on the app that you're using on a bunch of apps. Um, Please leave a rating or a review if you can. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, please go ahead and subscribe to uh, to my channel on there. I'm putting all the videos on there. Hopefully, we'll continue to improve the quality of those. That's something that's on my radar uh, that the video quality needs to improve. So that will be happening at some point. Um, I just need my business to uh, get to a point where it's not so crazy, um, and I'm not doing so many running around like a, a chicken with my head cut off. Uh, because obviously, I need to serve my clients first. This podcast comes second. Um, but you guys understand please go ahead and follow the show however you can on whatever platform you're using. Um, Today is going to be uh, a much different episode than normal, Uh, but as some of you know, my father passed away uh, earlier this month after battling multiple sclerosis for about two decades, Um, and then for the past two years battling uh, melanoma, which uh, he ultimately lost uh, that fight um, earlier in the month of July. And uh, he would have been um, 76 years old on July 23rd. Um, so he didn't quite make it that long, but he made it to 75 years. Uh, my mom and he celebrated their 50th anniversary uh, in the month of June. And um, and he was a listener of the show. And, uh, and even though he didn't send a lot of text messages, that wasn't a, a big thing that he did very often. He would usually send me a, a text message each week to let me know that he enjoyed uh, that week's episode. And uh, and so I, I really feel like I want to give this episode, because this is my show, I can do whatever I want. Um, I want to give this episode as a tribute to him, and specifically 10 lessons uh, that I learned from him that I think will be useful and inspiring to everyone that listened to this. Um, now, to give a little bit of background real quick, my dad wasn't a business person. Um, during my life, he was the pastor of a small church in New Jersey, um, and at various times, he took on various chaplaincy jobs, sometimes in volunteer uh, capacities, sometimes in paid capacities. He was a hospital chaplain, a hospice chaplain, a nursing home chaplain, um, and the chaplain of the Somerset Patriots uh, baseball team for a time. Um, he didn't really know very much about real estate, so um, these 10 lessons that I learned are not real estate-centric. Um, but, um, there, there's a lot that basically everything in my life was gleaned from my parents in one way or another. And obviously my dad was a big part of that. And so I can directly thank him, um, and, and directly attribute to him much of my success in real estate. And he, he actually was kind of, uh, he acted kind of flummoxed at various times that I was, uh, good at real estate, that I found a way to make a career out of it. Um, and he would uh, say, well, you didn't get that from me. Um, and uh, that that's not really true. 
and uh, you guys will see that in uh, in this episode. I'm going to try to uh, to keep myself composed. This is obviously not going to be easy for me to do, but um, but I think it's the right thing to do, and and it's what I want to do. Um, and so, as I already said, who I am today and how I approach my work in real estate is heavily influenced by my dad, and um, and so I want to give this tribute to to him, but also to you all, so that you can experience uh, a little bit of of what I learned from him, and maybe that will be encouraging to you. So, ten lessons that I learned from from my dad. Lesson number one. Work hard as long as, sorry, work hard, <laughs> I'm str- already struggling here, work as hard as you can, as long as you can. Um, hopefully the rest of these will go a little bit smoother than that. Um, once I once I get going here, I think I'll be okay. Uh, work as hard as you can for as long as you can. My dad um, worked as hard as anyone I know. At one point, he had three jobs, his, his pastoring job. And then uh, at least two other chaplaincy jobs. I think he might have had three chaplaincy jobs at one time. So, may- so perhaps he had as many as four jobs at one time. Um, he would try to take off uh, one day per week. But being a pastor, what a lot of people don't realize is it's really a 24-7 job. So my dad would try to take off Monday. But if someone had a marriage crisis that happened on a Monday or if someone passed away on a Monday or whatever the case may be, someone needed counseling on a Monday. Like those things couldn't just wait until the next day, and uh, and so really he he worked more or less twenty four seven. And from what I recall, he only had two weeks of of vacation each year, and um, and I don't think he really counted his hours. Maybe he did the hours that he worked, but I think he worked between sixty to seventy hours per week, like actually working, like actually doing something work-related besides just the kind of being on call all the time, uh, which is just the nature of when you're in a, a pastoral ministry type of position. That's that's just kind of the way it is. But in terms of how my, uh, how my dad approached work, he didn't do all of this crazy work just for the money. He wasn't working 60 to 70 hours a week just for the money, um, really the things he was doing were not uh, obviously very high-paying things. You don't get paid a whole lot when you're a chaplain. You don't get paid a whole lot when you're a pastor. At, at least most of them don't. Most of the ones that are doing it right um, are not getting paid enough, uh, or are not getting paid very much. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, but um, he did find uh, fulfillment in throwing himself into work and giving it. 100% every day. And that was something that I saw every single day. And that was something that just subliminally just just was absorbed by me as a child, as, a, as I became a teenager, as I became an adult. Um, I, I just saw that example of hard work. And that led to me finding fulfillment in work, whatever that was. As a student, I found fulfillment in being a student. I worked hard as a student. Um, when I got my first job, same thing as I progressed and, and, uh, got, you know, into the business world, same thing as I got into real estate, same thing, all of these things, that work ethic was instilled in me. And that's something I can, uh, directly point to my dad as I saw that example and that was put in me. And he would frequently talk about how important it was if you committed to something, you need to fulfill your commitment 100%. If you commit to a job, you need to give it 
And if you can't, then just don't don't agree to do it. Um, but if you do agree to do it, find a way to get it done, or or say that you can't do it. Um, and that goes to that goes to everything, even the smallest obligations. He gave it a hundred percent, and and he always felt like everyone else uh, should give it a hundred percent. And I think a, a a big takeaway I have from this is you don't know what tomorrow brings, but you can give 100% today. And that was what my dad did. He gave 100% every single day. And that is something that that I feel myself. Every day I have this opportunity. And you, as a listener, if I could be a little preachy for a moment, and I'm going to do this a few times, you have that opportunity today. You can give 100% today because tomorrow is not promised to us. Um, but today we have this opportunity to completely throw ourselves into our work, into our relationships, into everything that is in our lives. And if we do that, then we'll find that fulfillment and we'll find the love for what we do. Um, the second lesson that I learned from my dad, and and I, by the way, I, I had to cut a lot of lessons out of this I had to really distill this down to 10 um, so there's a lot more, obviously, in these 10. But the second that I chose to include was talk to people. Um, my dad, one thing that people universally recognized about my dad was that he just enjoyed talking to people. He he was interested in hearing other people's stories. And it would sometimes get on my nerves. Like we would just be, you know, at the at the gas station and he would just strike up a conversation with someone and he wasn't trying to get anything out of them, right? He wasn't trying to um, even go out of his way to, you know, to share with them his faith. That's a, a very common thing. Um, you know, when people that are pastors, they want to immediately, you know, talk to someone and then like, by the way, do you know Jesus? My dad wasn't like that. If the conversation went there, he would obviously talk to them about that. But he was just interested in talking to people. And no matter where we went, um, he was always talking to people and always just wanting to hear from them. It wasn't that he had all these things that he wanted to tell them. Um, it was all these things that he wanted them to tell him, that he wanted to hear from them about their story. And just throughout his life, it was very clear that people were always more important than possessions. He didn't have a lot of uh, of worldly goods. He didn't have a lot of possessions. But it didn't matter because he was invested in in the lives of so many different people, even people he just met in passing. He would he he loved to just have a random conversation with someone, and then he would talk about that conversation for for so long. You know, like he would bring up, man, that guy at, at McDonald's was, uh, you know, that uh, that ca- cashier at McDonald's was just so friendly. You know, and he would he would rehash the conversation over and over again. Um, and I think he really understood that in, in, in a way that's challenging to me, that human investments and spiritual investments are much more important than material investments. And he just, I don't even know if he would have framed it that way, but that was just the way he lived. Um, I remember, mm, this was a few months ago, maybe maybe around December time, something like that. Um, my parents went to, and I, I went with them to, uh, 
Jersey Bagel Brothers, which is a place on uh, North Pleasantburg, uh, right across from Bob Jones in the in the Lake Forest Shopping Center. Great place if you want to get a uh, you know a, a fresh bagel, um, a you know Taylor ham, egg and cheese, which is a, a Jersey thing that if you don't know, you don't know. If you do know, you know. Um, and um, and he just you know as always he he struck up a conversation with the owner of the place and they had um they had a, a long conversation and um and then naturally at the end the 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 owner was just like hey let me get you a bagel for free let's let's get you something that you can that you can take to go and this was just the type of thing that happened all the time like he would just naturally have a conversation with someone and then uh that would result in people feeling valued and then they wanted to give to him some of the of the value that they had received out of him um and this kind of that transitions really nicely into my third point which is well before i i go there um i i do want to say talk to people that that's a challenge for me because i i like to grind um in in my work and i i like to kind of block things out and and sometimes forget about people um and it's it's easy for me to forget that sometimes you just need to talk to people people you know we're in this world where we're all in these little bubbles and we we need that human touch we need that human connection there's a lot of people that if you just talk to them you can completely impact them in a way that you didn't realize um, and in, in a very small way, I think that that's what happened in that experience that I, I remember, you know, from, from fairly recently at, um, at Jersey Bagel Brothers. Um, and so I, as I started to say before, that transitions nicely into, into my third lesson here, which is treat your network like they are your net worth. Okay. Tricky. That was a tricky one, but I think I did that one. Okay. Um, there's a common phrase, your, your network is your net worth. I've referenced that on here before. A very impactful phrase for me. Um, usually the way people mean that phrase is that you need to, to network with as many people as possible to try to extract value out of them as much as possible because that they will become a major resource for you ultimately. But that's not how my dad approached any of these things, as I've already alluded to it. And so that's why I rephrased it. I actually originally had this point as your network is your net worth. And I was going to clarify that my dad never used that phrase because he never did. I said he wasn't a business person. I don't think he read any business books. Um, But if he did, and if he coined a phrase, it would have been something closer to treat your network like they are your net worth. Um, And what I mean by that is that as he was invested in people, he he wasn't trying to extract value out of them. He already saw that there that there was value in them, and he treated them as such. And he he treated people as people as individuals. He, it was a really big deal to him. Something that was instilled to me as a small child that when you know you're in a restaurant. Or, or whatever, where there's the opportunity to tip people that you that you show generosity, that you give good tips. Even if you if you don't have enough money to give a good tip, you just you don't go to that restaurant. That was something that was a, a really big deal to him. Um, 
But because he was invested in people and, and wasn't trying to extract value out of them, those people naturally became valuable. They became a resource to him. Um, I, I, if I listed off everything, it would be astonishing. But through the people that he knew, he got several of the jobs that he got. Uh, the pastoring, several pastoring jobs, several chaplaincy jobs. A lot of those came through his network. Um, he ended up on television multiple times. Um, he got uh, free tickets to sporting events a lot. We went to a lot of free sporting events growing up. Um, he found homes to live in. Several of the places that uh, that my parents and my family called home as I was growing up and, and perhaps even before that were places that other people had found in one way or another for them. Um, the uh, the last vehicle that he had was a wheelchair van. That was a van that their church gave to him. And so people were constantly, and, and I already gave the example, of, a very simple example of the bagel place, um, just feeling the need to, to give him something to go, you know, after having that interaction with him. Um, but what's interesting in all of these examples is, and and what really goes contrary to the book on networking and what people typically, where, where the conversation usually goes when people talk about your network being your net worth, is that my dad never asked anyone for anything. I don't, I don't recall him ever asking anyone for anything. In fact, it really bothered him um, he was a very independent person. It bothered him to ask people for, for things. Um, I remember growing up, um, our church that was in uh, Dover, New Jersey, when we had a big snow, um, as a little kid, I remember going over there with him to help dig out the church. And I think that there were some other men that would uh, that would assist with that. But me as a child, I don't remember that. I just remember it being me and my dad. And we would dig that church out of the snow, and it was not easy. When we got three feet of snow, uh, we had a few blizzards uh, back when I was growing up. We'd get this in- insane snow. It was a it was a ton of work, and um, and he, I don't remember him ever asking people to come help. I think that there were some people that realized that that they needed to, um, but at the end of the day, he was very independent, and he wasn't asking people. For things, but people just out of their hearts wanted to give back to him. And I think that that was because he simply got to know people and just invested in those people. And as a result, they felt like they needed to uh, to give back to him. And so while I'm in this world where it's all about networking and, and not just in real estate, but just in business as general, where, where you do see, it's very easy to see people as commodities. I'm challenged by my dad's life that you don't need to see people as commodities. You don't need to see people as something that will contribute to your net worth. Just see them as people. And eventually, when you need something, those people will be there. You don't need to worry about, well, who is in my network that will be able to help me out? No, they will they will help you out because you've already invested in them and they will naturally give back to you. The fourth lesson I have on here is run, don't walk. Um, again, not a phrase that my dad would have ever used, um, but 
this is this was one of the first ones when I was thinking through the 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 things that I learned from my dad in my head. This is one of the first ones. Run, don't walk. Um, being a pastor, you know, isn't a glamorous job and is not a job that most um, would consider to be exciting. But when my dad was working, he had really just this excited energy to him. And he was always moving and just always seemed to be excited to be going wherever it was that he was going next. Uh, the the church that uh, that my parents and, and my family was at when I was growing up was this basically four-story, it, it was three stories with a basement church in, uh, in New Jersey. And... Um, being as many floors as it was, it was there was just a lot of stairs that you had to do um, in this church building. And I would go over with him a lot while he was working. There was a gymnasium in the basement. And so I would practice basketball. He would, you know, study or work on different things at the church, whatever it was that he was doing. And I just have one of the most distinct memories that I have is while I was down there in the gymnasium, I could hear him running up and down the stairs at church. It was just this this energy that he had just spilling over. It was there was no rush in theory. There was nothing for him to be rushing to, but it was just he was just always running. He was always moving. Um, another not as not as distinct memory, but but similar that I have is he and I would watch sporting events together. And I remember how there would be a, like a really exciting play that would happen. And, you know, he would, it would go to a commercial break and he would jump up out of his seat and kind of with a hop step, you know, go get a snack or, or, you know, go use the bathroom or whatever he was getting up to do. And even though there was no need to rush, it was like, he was just moving in a hurry. He had, he had purpose and, and he wasn't just going to slowly go from from one place to the next. He was going to move. And it was always like he was just running out of time to get everything done. He, just, he had things to do, and he was moving with purpose, and he was going to get those things done. And, uh, and the, the fullness of his life combined with his energy meant that he just had to, had to move, and he had to move quickly. Um, and... It's just, it's interesting, you know, when you reflect back on on a, on a life that was lived and you really start to think about so, so many of these different things. Um, my dad had a fullness to his life that was just every day. Like, he lived life like it was full every single day, even though, like I said, being a pastor is not a job that you would consider to be exciting. Um, being, you know, working chaplaincy jobs isn't necessarily exciting. Um, but you wouldn't have guessed that from, from watching my dad, from, from watching how he lived life. There was an excitement to, uh, to what he was doing and there was a purpose to what he was doing. And dad didn't need to get away from life to enjoy life. So, you know, for instance... Uh, there was a stretch of my life where um, I I lived for vacation. Like, I was basically living in between vacations or, or living for the weekend or whatever, or whatever the case was. I was, I was living to get away. Um, and my dad didn't, didn't live to get away. Like I said, he only had two 
two weeks of, of vacation per year. And we basically spent those two weeks visiting relatives, more or less. Um, and, and he didn't, he wasn't real big into traveling. Um, he didn't have, you know, a whole lot of things that, that excited him outside of just normal life, but normal life was enough. And, um, and he had a, a, just a full life every single day and he enjoyed the fullness of it as he ran from, from one responsibility to the next. And so I'm challenged and I'm inspired that, my, you know, it's easy to get in the grind and to not enjoy the grind. But if you don't enjoy the grind, what do you have? You're like I said, like or like I alluded to before, you're just bouncing from weekend to weekend or from vacation to vacation. And so run, don't walk. Move with purpose. Enjoy the life that you have. Enjoy these responsibilities, these moments. They they can be full. If you see it that way in your mind, if you see the fullness of the moment, you'll realize, hey, this is exciting. This is this is a life that I only get to have one time. This day, I'll never get back. This moment, it'll be gone. And, and, and you can never redeem that. And so uh, run from one moment to the next. Don't walk. Uh, lesson number five. Contentment isn't always easy, but it is always available. One thing um, about my dad is that you always knew what he was thinking. He really wore his emotions on his sleeve. Um, he was very easy to read. You you knew if he was angry, if he was upset, if he was happy. Um, you just you just knew that he he did not hide any of those emotions. It was very apparent how he felt. And yet, in spite of that. Most people that wear their emotions on their sleeves are, are typically people that are, you know, complaining all the time and um, not very pleasant to be around oftentimes. Um, in the case of my dad, I very, very rarely heard him complain. Um, I, I saw him experience a lot of things that most people would complain about, things that were difficult. People coming and going from church, which only the pastor of a small church can can fully appreciate how difficult it can be when there's turnover within that church. Um, I saw him having to take care of his aging mother, my grandmother, for for a long time. Um, and as I already alluded to, he had multiple decades of failing health that ultimately limited his work, led to his retirement. Um the same failing health that gradually took away his ability to walk and other mobility for for years until he was ultimately confined to a bed basically for the last few months of his life and in all of that he he genuinely seemed content in his life like i didn't get the impression that he was keeping things to himself like i said he wore his emotions on his sleeve now there were moments where he would just say it is what it is you know uh, but that was the closest thing to hearing him complain uh, that usually, I'm not going to say he never ever complained, but usually that was the the closest thing he would say to complaining. It's just, well, it is what it is. This is the way this is the way life is, and this is the hand I've been dealt. When he could no longer work, he was fine with transitioning to doing things at home and helping my mom, even though 
Um, he said that he wanted to work until the day he died. You know, this kind of plays into what I talked about before about his work ethic. He he genuinely wanted to work until the day that he died, but he couldn't. His health didn't allow that. And despite not having that that really fundamental desire, he made a complete transition to not working and um and and basically kind of reversing roles in some ways with my mom where she started working and he and he was kind of more focused on on you know doing things at home and um and he seemed content with that i, I was actually very surprised with how content he was in in that situation when he could no longer walk he was content sitting. Remember, this is a person that that was constantly moving, constantly running. That ability to move was taken away from him. And what I saw was that he he transitioned to that. And okay, I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna find something to do while I'm sitting. When he could no longer sit, he was content lying in bed. Um, there was always just this God given contentment to him, no matter what happened around him. And that's definitely something that I struggle with. I, I struggle with just being content. You can be complacent and and just kind of get stuck in a rut, but that's not what I'm talking about. He had a contentment that when he he literally could not improve on a situation and the situation was by a lot of metrics lousy, he was still content in that situation. Um, that taught me taught me that contentment is always available, even when it's not easy. Um, there is always the ability to be content in whatever state you find yourself in, in whatever situation you find yourself in. And, you know, for for our family as Christians, we look to our faith for that. Um, but there are there's a lot of and I'm going to get to this, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but there's a lot of beauty in the world that if you if you open your eyes and and look to it and and really take it in, you can find the contentment even in the the times when uh, things around you don't look pleasant, don't aren't enjoyable. Um, there are things that that you can look to uh, to find that contentment. Um, lesson number six. A penny saved is a penny earned. Um, Well-known phrase, so my dad obviously didn't coin this phrase, but it was one that he liked to say a lot when I was growing up. I can't tell you how many times he said this. Um, Frugality was a major part of my upbringing, um, and that should come as no surprise. Um, My parents had three children. My dad was, was the primary breadwinner to use a, a kind of a tired phrase, but but one that's hard to replace. Um, and we lived, you know, my entire life until I became an adult in New Jersey, which is an expensive state. And my dad was a pastor of a church with less than 100 people. So not a very high-paying job, as I've already alluded to. Um, and so there was a lot of frugality uh, in my upbringing that was intentional, that was taught, I remember my dad teaching me how the unit price worked at the grocery store when you're comparing comparison shopping. And that's a life skill that I now realize a lot of adults to this day that I know don't have. Like they weren't taught what the unit price is. And so they don't understand how to do basic comparison shopping. Um, I remember him 
um, sitting me down and explaining to me how expensive college would be based on the rate of inflation. And um, how even though he and my mom would help support me financially through college, it would not be possible if I didn't bring, it would not be possible for me to graduate from college uh, debt-free if I didn't bring something to the table financially. Remember, um, at the time that I was growing up, getting student loans was was really a big push. And, and a lot of my friends were, were going to college and, and contemplating getting student loans and all of that. And that wasn't something that we wanted to do if we could avoid it. Um, and so my dad challenged me on that point. And, and um, I wanted to work at early. And so I started working in the ninth grade. I was the first person in my class to get a job in high school. And I worked as hard as I could for all of high school, all of college. I saved 80% of what I made. Uh, to go towards my education from the very first moment I started working in high school. I did that. Um, and in the end, my sisters, who are older than me, and I all went to private high schools, which m- my parents had to pay for. Uh, we all went to college, got four-year bachelor's degrees, and we all graduated with those bachelor's degrees debt-free. And that wasn't because of any a hidden financial strategy or any you know, crazy and incredible investments. You know, my my parents didn't invest in Tesla when the stock price was like nothing and then it it took off or anything like that. They just knew that a penny saved is a penny earned, that if you practice frugality in the right way, that it could go a long way. It could take you places um, that just being frivolous with your money won't. And... I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, I I have I don't approach finances exactly the same as my dad did. Um, he would never have considered um, investing in real estate the the way I do. Um, but the the ideas of financial frugality that he taught me helped me in all of those investments to understand the power of being wise with your money, the power of not just using your money to buy more sneakers, uh, to buy, you know, uh, a vacation that you can't afford or whatever the case may be, that, that, that you can make that money last really long if you do, if you use it the right way. You can, you can make it work for you. And, and that was something uh, hugely influence, influential in my life. Lesson number seven. Each season of life is uniquely beautiful. Um, my dad had a lot of seasons of life. Um, I mentioned him being being a pastor in New Jersey, but he was also a pastor in other states. Obviously, uh, South Carolina, I should mention. This was actually before I was born. He was a pastor in, in South Carolina. He was in, a pastor in Georgia and Connecticut. Um, I referenced he had various chaplaincy jobs over the years some of which started as him volunteering and then led to paid positions. And, uh, and of course, the last 20 years of his life were a, a completely were, were several different seasons kind of packed into one uh, as they were directly impacted by his failing health. And he clearly had some parts of his life that he enjoyed and found more fulfillment in than others. But in every season, there was, there was a beauty, a fullness, something special happening, something at work, 
something to be enjoyed and something to be appreciated. Um, and in recent years, I've heard from so many people whose lives he touched all throughout his life in all of these different seasons, um, including the most recent years when his health was was really failing him. Um, and he had, you know, just all these stories from all of these different seasons of life of, of just things that were that were fun or that were crazy or that were, uh, you know, just really meaningful to him. And so there was just always this this beauty to every season of life. And I think it's easy to just get caught up in all of the challenges. And there is, you know, there's a well-known phrase to stop and, and smell the roses or, or however it goes. There's something to that. Right, because if you just get, and I've referenced getting caught in the grind multiple times, you just get caught in the grind and and forget to just take a moment and to breathe in the air and to to enjoy that there is beauty in each moment. You'll you'll miss out on something, um, and life has so many seasons. Some are hard, um, but if you look for it, you will find beauty, you'll find something full, you'll find something special at work in all of them. And I saw that directly in in my dad's life. Lesson number eight, discipline is the backbone of success. My dad was extremely disciplined. This is another thing. One of the first things that, that came to my mind was just his discipline. I've already said how he worked a lot of hours, um, didn't take many days off, um, what I haven't said up to this point is that he had a routine and a schedule that he stuck to religiously. Um, he, I mean, he was really a stickler um, about his schedule and about his routine. It was very predictable. Um, we, we, you know, I really knew exactly what he was doing, um, exactly when. And um, sometimes I would, I would push that, you know, schedule a little bit. Like there were some times when I was working in high school. And there was a little basketball hoop behind the restaurant that we worked at. And so sometimes we would play a little basketball for, you know, 20, 30 minutes after after work was over. And my dad was picking me up because I, I couldn't drive yet um, or I just didn't have a car. And um, and he would he would let me play and, and, you know, wouldn't say anything, even though now in hindsight, I'm like, I was probably really throwing his schedule for a loop doing that. Um, but he was he was extremely disciplined. He was constantly reminding his children to be disciplined in their studies, um, in their work, um, in their everyday lives. That was a constant refrain that we heard over and over again was this refrain of, of being disciplined. Um, and this was one of the things that stood out to me the most, you know, um, growing up and now looking back, is that my dad wasn't the greatest speaker in the world. He wasn't the greatest writer. Um, he wasn't, he, he didn't always make decisions that, made a ton of sense to me, but he was always disciplined. And that discipline made, made up for and makes up for so many other potential or perceived shortcomings. And that's something that's that's really impactful for me is that, man, I can I can accomplish so much more if I'm disciplined in in what I'm doing um, and and just thrust myself into it than if I'm haphazard, but really good, right? There are some people that are like really, really good at something, but they lack the discipline. Let me put my money on the person that's disciplined, but not as talented any day of the week. They are they are the people that you want to be in your group, on your team, in your network, um, to go back to that. 
those disciplined people are so much more valuable and are going to accomplish so much more than the people that are really, really uh, talented um, and have very specific skills but lack the discipline to go with them. Um, Lesson number nine, and we're almost done here. When a door closes, there's always another open door. Another thing I saw from um, firsthand from my dad was that the world was full of opportunities, tons of opportunities. One opportunity would close and another would open. The opportunities were everywhere. And um, and and that was just, you know, not something, this is more something that like looking back I noticed, but in the moment I didn't really notice it. But now that I look back, I see that there were just, there would always be these doors that would close and then other doors that would open up and just there was always something that was available. There was always something that if if one opportunity went away, another opportunity would avail itself. Uh, but if you weren't looking, you could very easily miss that opportunity. Now, as I said before, my dad didn't go out of his way to, to try to network. That wasn't like a strategy that he had. Um, he didn't go out of his way to try to find opportunities, but somehow there was always a new opportunity, a new open door waiting for him. And I think he just simply made himself available, tried to help people out when he could, and somehow there was just always an open door waiting for him when one closed. And there was, you, you know, uh, there's a kind of a confidence that I have now in life that's like, you know what? I might feel like a door is closing, but there's another one that's going to be open. I, I see that now. I, I've, I've experienced that kind of vicariously through my dad. And now now I just I have this confidence in life that's like nothing nothing can can stop you if you are making yourself available, if you are investing in people. There will always be an open door, there will always be a new opportunity uh, that you can, that you can find, that you can avail yourself to. Um, there's a, a popular phrase, I actually did not write this down because I didn't plan to say it, but let me see if I don't butcher it. Um, I believe it's, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. I believe I said that right. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So there is no luck. Right. If you're if you're prepared and then the opportunity arises, that's what it looks like luck to other people. But it's really not luck. It's just that you were ready when the moment arrived. And I think that that was the case so many times with my dad. So many of these different things that I, I mentioned, you know, becoming a baseball chaplain. How many people have that uh, the ability to become a baseball chaplain for for a minor league baseball team? These were just the types of things that would just happen to him. Um, And it wasn't just that he was in the right place at the right time. He wasn't trying to be. Um, He was just, he was prepared. And when the opportunity arised, preparation met opportunity and, and doors opened that previously nobody would have expected to, to have been open. Um, Lesson number 10, enjoy a cup of coffee each day. One of my dad's hallmarks was his love of coffee. Um, if anyone knows him, if anyone listening know, knows him, you, you already know this. Um, he always found a way to enjoy a cup of coffee, often multiple cups of coffee each day. Um, a few months ago, he was hospitalized. Um, they, uh, my parents did not 
live in in the Greenville area, so I had to um, go in their direction to uh, to be with them to help them out. And every single day that I went to the hospital to be with my dad, he'd request that I'd bring McDonald's coffee to him. That was a really big deal. He was a big McDonald's coffee guy, which I cannot explain. Um, I, I just because he liked coffee didn't mean he had a refined palate, <laughs> right? Um, but no matter how complicated or mundane life was, even if he was sitting in a hospital bed, he always enjoyed that cup of coffee. It was just, it was a simple pleasure that nobody could take away from him. And I find that it's easy in life to get so caught up in the challenges and frustrations that it's easy for like days to go by where you just have no enjoyment. And it's just like, again, you're just in that grind. You're just not enjoying it. And what I've learned from my dad is that each day you need to to stop and take that moment. I've already talked about smelling the roses, but to to turn that into a, a direction that would that would make him happy, uh, enjoy that cup of coffee. Or whatever simple pleasure it is that you have. Find a, a simple pleasure that you can enjoy every day that doesn't cost a lot of money, that doesn't take a lot of time, but that you'll be able to just take a few moments and just enjoy and just do that every single day. Enjoy your cup of coffee every single day. Make sure that your life doesn't get so busy and so crowded that you no longer have time for the simple pleasures in life. All right, I hope that you guys enjoyed that. Um, I barely made it through. Uh, that was... it. Not easy, um, but I appreciate you guys watching and I appreciate you guys listening. All of my contact information is in the show notes. Let me know what you thought, if there was anything different that you hadn't thought of or anything you wanted to uh, to add to it or, or share about my dad if you knew him. I'd appreciate any of that. My contact information is in the show notes as always. Please rate, review, subscribe. Do all of those things for the show and we will talk again next week.